Please stand for the reading of God's word from Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Well, thanks, Sean, and good morning again. I'm Travis. I'm the pastor here. It's good to be with you. Thank you for joining us this morning. If you're visiting, whether just by chance or friends and family, glad to have you with us uh, today. Um, In many ways, it's been uh, a difficult week. Um, We had yet another uh, shooting, and it's painful that gun violence we continue to see around us has uh, struck again and struck home for some of us who have a personal connection to Kansas City. I just want to say that we grieve uh, the loss of life, the injuries, the pain, the the theft of a sense of safety and predictability uh, for all those connected to that community. And we ask, how long, O Lord? Um, We certainly need God's power both to endure things like this and to reshape our broken world that things like this might stop. And we're going to talk today about some of the power that God puts in our hearts and in our lives to endure these things and to reshape them. So we will be continuing the series that we have been going through in the book of Ephesians, at least the first half, that we're calling Grace and Peace, looking at the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, which is today Western Turkey, as a reminder to them about the heart of the faith. And Paul brings out that that summary of what he will call the heart of the faith in just verse 2, the very earliest part of the book. He says it's grace and peace. That's the heart of the Christian faith, the center of it. And our prayer is that through this series that each of you would come to have more of an appropriation of God's grace in your own life and come to show more grace to those around you, both as individuals and for us as a church, that we might be a people marked by grace, that we would treat each other with grace, that we would treat ourselves with grace, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, our family. Maybe that's the hardest of all, our family even, with grace. Last time we looked at the overwhelming riches and mystery of God's grace, and we saw that it's, that it's really it's so much more than we expect that we should have, and that in God's grace, he says, actually, that's the exact right amount. That so much more than you think you should have is the right amount of my grace for you. 
And that grace is not just something that we go off and find hidden in a cave somewhere buried under a rock, but that it's, that it's a person, it's personal, it's someone that comes to find you. That grace from beginning to end is something that you don't do by your strength. You don't find it by being smart enough, by working hard enough. You find it because it finds you. And this week we're looking at not just the riches, not just the mystery of it, but starting to get into the actual enjoyment of God's grace and to to know something of the power of it and how that power shapes our experience of God's grace. So I want to look at what Paul says about, about how we experience the light of God's grace in our life, the power of it, through talking about three things. The light of his grace, how we experience the light, and the power of his grace. So the light how we experience it, and the power to get at this this deepening experience of what it is to truly know, not just talk about, but to know God's grace. Before we do that, let me pray for us. Would you pray with me? Now, we pray again because you have told us that you are the vine and that we are the branches, and that apart from you, we can do nothing. That opening your scripture here, that speaking about these things, if you're not in it, it's nothing emptiness, it's vapor, it's wind. So I pray that you would be so much more than words on a page. Would you be so much more than than words from a microphone? Would you be this power that we are going to talk about in our lives? Would you transform our hearts? Would you open their eyes that we might see, maybe for the first time, maybe again for for a long time when it's been a break, that, that you are the one who loves us? And that that is a power that cannot be transcended by anything else. So I pray that you would speak into the corners of the hearts and lives that are here that that have been quiet to you for a long time, that haven't wanted to hear from you, that feel unsafe, unsure, angry in some ways. God, would would you, with your gentleness, put your grace there, that we might hear from you this morning and know something of your power, as Paul prayed that we might. So it's in your son's name and by your spirit that we pray, amen. Well, if you have uh, your Bibles, we just read from the passage. We're going to go back through the text a little bit this morning, so feel free to follow along there. But we're going to start by talking about the light of his grace and how that comes out in this text. Uh, In verse 18, Paul says he wants their eyes to be opened. That's part of what he's praying for for this church is that the eyes of their heart would be illuminated, they would be lit up, they would be opened to a few things, to the calling that they have from Jesus and the riches of grace that we talked about last week. This is what Paul is asking for for them. But I want us to see a nuance that Paul is making here because in verse 15, he says that those things are already theirs. He says, they already have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so by extension, they would already have grace. Paul's not asking for them to become Christians. He's not saying that he wants them to know grace for the first time. He's praying that as Christians, as those to whom grace already belongs, that their eyes would be opened to the depth and the riches of God's grace. Those who already believe. So if you're sitting in a pew this morning and you already believe, don't close your ears. Paul's not talking past you. He's talking specifically to you. And if you don't believe, we're going to find out how Paul is also speaking to you as well. But he is praying that as Christians, they would have more of an experience of God's grace, of what already belongs to them, that they would live into it 
and know it in some sort of deeper way. What's already true of them, he's praying that they would know it and apply it in a new way. Uh, My oldest son told me that I have to mention that this came from him, and indirectly it did, because with him I watched Kung Fu Panda. Uh, So, in Kung Fu Panda, Po, the lovable sort of miscreant character, uh, the panda is chosen as the most unlikely of characters to be the great dragon warrior, the protector of all the creatures of the land. And there is a villain, Tai Lung, who becomes a threat that Po must stop as the great dragon warrior. There's no one else who could stop him. It's just down to him. And Poe finally receives this mysterious great dragon scroll that's supposed to tell him everything he needs to know to be the great dragon warrior, to stop things exactly like this, to reveal all the secrets that have been hidden that will stop this great threat. And he gets it down and he opens it and it's blank. There's nothing in there And he is afraid, and he is puzzled, and no one understands what this means. But after a while, he finally, he he looks at it in a different light, and he sees his own reflection in it. And he realizes what the dragon scroll was meant to tell him, is that he is already great. He already has what he needs to be the great dragon warrior. And Paul is doing something similar in this passage. He's trying to draw our attention to what is already true of you in Christ if you believe. He's not saying this isn't yours yet. He's saying it is yours and you don't live like it is. It is yours and it doesn't come out from you in your speech. It doesn't show up in the way that you treat your family, your friends, and your coworkers. It's not in some way alive in you in the full way that it could be alive. He wants them to have not just the knowledge that grace exists, that you're forgiven, that you are free in Jesus, but but he wants you to have all that comes with that. Everything that goes along with a life that says, I am saved by grace. He wants the fullness of that lit up for them, their eyes opened to it so that they can see it and enjoy it. So it's something that, that brings them joy. See, Paul's showing us that that grace is meant to be something more than just an idea. Grace is not just the great Christian truth, not just the great Christian idea. It is meant to be the great Christian experience in our lives. It's meant to be what people who are not Christians experience from Christians, not just a cold, distant idea, but a, a reality that comes out of us. Grace is meant to be something that we show something that we enjoy in the same way that you might, especially in winter, enjoy the warmth of a summer sun. Grace is meant to be something you not just know about, but enjoy. So it makes us ask, if we are Christians already, is grace, is this totally undeserved, completely mismatched, crazy, generous, overflowing kindness of God to me just because he chooses to be kind, not because I have in any way, shape, or form deserved that thing. Is that something that I experience as a Christian? Is that something that is real to me in some way? Or is it just a cold, distant truth that I agree to but doesn't show up in my life? You see, maybe we can think about it this way. The the sun is our planet's star just as much as it is Pluto's star. 
Now, I know there is painful debate about whether or not Pluto counts as a planet anymore or if it's an exoplanet, but for those of us who learned science before they changed these things, let's say it is. The sun is no less Pluto's sun, but Pluto does not experience the sun the way that we experience the sun. For Pluto, the sun is a cold, small, distant light that would not do more than our moon does for us in terms of warmth. It, it absolutely belongs to Pluto, and Pluto belongs to it. But there is no experience like we experience it. There is no warmth. There is no heat for it. Paul wants us to experience God's grace like the earth, maybe even like Venus, like Mercury experienced the sun in increasing warmth where it is something that you feel, that you know, that impacts you, that changes the condition of your life, not just something that you see and say, that's interesting. And so where even though we believe, if you believe this morning, is grace something in your life that's more like the sun to Pluto than it is the sun to the earth? Where is it something that you acknowledge, but it doesn't feel alive to you? It doesn't feel warm to you? Where has it become something that, that maybe belongs to you by faith or something that if you're not a Christian, you, you know about intellectually, but that you, you haven't really experienced in yourself or others, maybe in a long time? that you don't see as something to enjoy, you just see as something I, I, I'm supposed to believe that or I don't believe that, but I know that's what's supposed to be true. Just an idea that I walk right past instead of something that comes alive because God wants, Paul wants, that we not squint from a distance at a small cold light, but that we be wrapped up, that we almost be feeling like we are too close to what is so vibrant and warm that we would ask him to stop. God wants that kind of experience for you. The end of all things, if you go to Revelation, is that picture of a vibrant, almost unbearable heat and light experience with God that the goal of Christianity is not just a marginally better life. It is not just treating people better. It's not better ethics. It is ultimately to be in the presence of the one who is the Son of God, shining like the sun, reshaping the entirety of our existence. It is meant to be relational and experiential. And that's not to boil it down to just experience and say, if I have a greater experience or you have a greater experience, then I'm, I'm the more mature Christian or I have more of the faith. No, it's not to say that, but it is to ask where has an experience of the grace of God become dead to us in some way? Because grace is meant to be experienced, not just understood. And so if that's where we are in some way living, and I'm sure that's true of each of us in some way, we are living more like Pluto than like the earth, that, that God's grace is a cold, distant idea to us. How do we get closer? How do we get our trajectory changed so that we move out of being a near exoplanet into one of the core planets? How do we do that? I want to talk secondly about how we get the light of the experience of grace that Paul is praying for. Paul says that experience of grace as something that's really yours, as something that changes your life, does not come through anything you do. What does he say? Verse 17. He says that all this would come, he prays, as a gift of the Spirit. 
as a gift, not a reward, not something that you earn or deserve, as a gift. He says it's, it's like receiving grace itself. In order for you to experience grace, not just know it, it comes as an undeserved, mismatched gift. Something that someone just hands to you. You don't have to deserve it, it's just given to you. Not through you doing it, but through God doing it for you. That's how Paul says this happens. You come to know, I come to know, a greater experience of God's grace by the Holy Spirit just giving it to you. In the time, in the way, in the manner that he thinks is right, according to the plan and the nuance of your life that he knows, God's not a vending machine. It's not like you press A5 and the grace of Cheetos fall out and you just get to chew on that and it's so delicious that, that there is a way that God knows that these things need to happen, but that it comes by a gift of God to you, not by you doing it. And that may seem discouraging, frustrating, limiting, disappointing. I have to wait for someone else to do this for me. This is supposed to be mine, but I have to wait for someone else to say it's okay to have it. I can't just do it myself. I'm not in control. But it's actually good news that it's not in our control, that it doesn't depend on you, that it is just a gift that you receive. Because it means this experience of grace comes from God acting on your behalf. And we're going to tease this out a little bit more. But the, the essence and the, the kernel of it is that you don't have to do it. You don't have to be wise enough. You don't have to be strong enough. You don't have to be determined enough. When we get frustrated and disappointed that it's not on my time, it's not on my way, what that presumes is that I do know the way, I do know the time, and I have the ability. I'm sure each of us could raise our hands and talk about a time in our life when we thought we had those three things and we were wrong. It was the wrong time, we didn't have as much as we needed, and we didn't know what we were doing. God wants something more for you than your ability to see down the road on your own. Enjoying grace doesn't depend, thank God, it doesn't depend on your ability to know how to enjoy it. Now, grace is just another thing we get to receive. Not figure out, not work for, just receive. Kids at Christmas don't figure out. Some of them are crafty and they try. Kids in here, I know you hear me. I was once a kid. You try to figure out what you're getting for Christmas. You try to engineer it. You lay subtle little breadcrumbs. You put hints. But thank God that just getting the gift does not depend on your ability to figure it out and to lay the little trail and to make it happen. No, no, no matter how little you know about grace, even if you know nothing about grace today, God can bring a full experience of grace into your life just by his gift that you don't have to be ready for. Maybe say it this way. Grace doesn't need anything from you to be a gift to you. All grace needs is your nothing. If you have nothing, you are a perfect candidate for grace. You don't need anything for God to bring his grace to you. It's just another gift that you get to receive. 
And not only that, as Paul shows us in verses 16 and 17, other people can ask for this gift for you. Someone like Paul can pray for you to have this grace. Someone who is a family member, a friend, someone who doesn't even know you can be praying that you might experience grace like this. Someone can say, I know they'd really enjoy that. Would you give that to them, God, please? In the same way that you might tell a friend something about a family member or another friend for Christmas, you might say, they would really enjoy that. They don't even know that I'm telling you that they want that, but I know they would want that. You should get that for them. If it's not just on you, someone else can ask for it for you. It's not just you, not just even God in the mix. Paul says you have both God and other people that desire to give you this gift of grace. You have a team of grace desiring for you to know more of what it is to be the earth in the warmth of the sun. Do you know that you have a team? Because when we know how much we need grace, it can feel like we're all alone. It can feel like I certainly don't deserve grace. I'm pretty sure God doesn't feel like I deserve grace. And I don't think I should even ask for it. But Paul says you have teams working for you. You're not just by yourself. Teams. You're not alone. If it's up to just you, then you are alone. It's just you to figure it out. You with your best resources, the best you can come up with, but it's just you. Paul says you get to have something so much more than just being by yourself. You get to have a team of people working with you, behind you, for you. See, when a greater experience of grace is something that comes to us through powers outside of us, not from powers within us, from God, from friends and family, though it might seem frustrating at first that it's not in our control, it actually means more hope for us not less. Yes, it may mean more waiting, but it means far more support. It means far greater odds that you will get to where you are trying to go because there is a team behind you. Paul wants us to see that to experience God's grace, that comes not by your effort, but by a team of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and other brothers and sisters in Christ who desire who can ask for you to have an experience of grace. It doesn't have to come through your power. That is really good news for anyone who knows the limits of their power when you've reached the end of your power. And it's even more encouraging when we understand something of the greatness of the power that's at work on this team for us and that brings us to our last consideration here, the power of this grace that, that Paul wants us to have an experience of, not just a knowledge of. Verse 19, he says that this is a power of, of immeasurable, or another way to translate that is surpassing greatness. That it's unlike anything else in your life. That's what Paul is trying to say here. It may not get across that way. Immeasurable is something you can't measure. 
It's another way, as kids like to say, of infinity, right? Infinity plus one, infinity times two. It's just another way of saying you can't measure how big it is, you can't measure how strong it is. It is beyond calculating. There is nothing like grace, Paul is trying to say, nothing like the power of grace that works in your life. Hard work and experience and careful planning are not like it. They ultimately depend on you. They make you more tired to do it. It's not like likability and personality, because eventually there are people who don't like you. And eventually some of our personality gets crusty and hard, and it is unlikable. Grace is not like beauty and attractiveness, which last for a time and in a certain measure, but eventually they go away. Grace is not like our self-discipline, our self-control, or our character. None of us is perfect in those things. Those things are us holding ourselves up. They depend on what others think about us. They are not within our control. They are not beyond measure. They are not beyond reach. Grace is not like achievement and success, which Ecclesiastes and the other wisdom literature says, ultimately, you leave to someone else. We know this is true. We are in a presidential election year. Whatever has happened in the last four years will be subject to whoever is now going to be in office four years after that. Whatever you do, whatever you achieve, you end up leaving it to someone else. It is not beyond reach. It is not beyond measure. It is fragile. Grace is not like a close-knit family. It's not like friends or community where those dynamics can change. And sometimes you used to be closer to someone, and I know that's true for me, I know it's true for some of you, and you're not as close anymore. The power of what was that family, that friendship has ebbed, has receded. Paul wants us to see that money and influence are not like grace. Things that corrupt us, things that make us fearful, things that make us only hungry for more that are ultimately always measurable and somehow less than we thought they would be. We could keep going, but the point is there is nothing, is what Paul is trying to say and I'm trying to spell out for you. There is nothing that compares, nothing that is like the power of grace for you. There's nothing that works even when you can't. Maybe that's the way to say it. There is nothing like grace that works even when you can't, even when you get tired and old and weary, even when you don't have the qualifications, you weren't successful, you weren't the right kind of person, you weren't as likable. There is nothing that works for you when you can't work for you like grace. There is nothing, I'm going to say that again, there is nothing that works for you even when you can't work for you like grace. All of our society's success and achievement and comfort and approval is based on the idea of you working for you, having the right connections, being at the right place at the right time. And if you can't work for you, ah, I'm sorry for you. I feel, I feel sad. I would like to help you, but ultimately, it's on you. Grace is not like American culture. Grace works for you. It is a power that works for you, even when you can't work for you. It's unaffected by changes in you. And that was the most nervous part of my early Christian faith as I kept thinking, as I kept reading Scripture, reading the Psalms, thinking about how David would talk about he is the righteous man before God, feeling like God's going to keep figuring out that I'm not that person. 
that there are going to be changes in me, that there are changes in me that he won't like, that won't line up with him. Paul says, grace is not that way. Grace is not changed by you. Grace changes you. It's not worn down by the ways that we decay and fail and fall short. Now, verse 21 says it is far beyond all that in Jesus Christ. It is seated beyond everything. It's out of reach power. It is untouchable power. Or to put it another way, Paul says, verse 22, all things are under the power of grace. It means everything has to answer to grace. There's no higher power than the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Paul wants you to know, believes that your experience of enjoying grace actually depends on knowing that all the powers that might step into your world to challenge you, to hurt you, to make you feel small, sad, lonely, alone, insignificant, unimportant, that ultimately all those powers have to answer to the grace of Jesus Christ. They're not stronger than him. They answer to him. What he, decides, what he decides, what he says, goes. What he says about you, goes. What he decides about you, goes. Not those things. Not the things that make you feel small and sad and lonely and ugly and rejected. Not what anyone else has said about you. Not how they've ignored you and overlooked you. Those things are not stronger than him. They do not get the final word. All of that has to answer to his grace because, as verse 20 says, Jesus already faced all those powers. In his life here, they argued and fought with him. They slandered and they mocked him. They gave him a bad name. They rejected him. They falsely accused him of all sorts of things that he never did. And then they got physical with him. They stripped and beat him. They betrayed, they crucified, they killed, and they buried him. And none of that was enough. Maybe there's no more terrifying moment to all the other powers of the world than when you do your worst and it is not enough. I recently was on a trip with some people and we just had the TV on and Terminator 2 came on. I don't know if any of you remember the glory that was Terminator 2 in its heyday, but there is the original Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and then there is this other Terminator, and this other Terminator just does not die, cannot be killed. They think they kill him, they blow him up, they freeze him, whatever it is, and it doesn't stop him. And you see the terror in their faces when what you thought would ultimately put that power down is not enough. This is what the gospel says everything else in your life has to feel like when Jesus Christ gets out of the grave. Because he faced all those other things and it was not enough. The Father raised him up from above it all in greater power the cross and the resurrection, amen, have seated him above it all, out of reach. And now our, lived, our lived experience sorry, may not reflect that sense of power. Your day-to-day -day may not feel like that is real for you. That, okay, fine, Paul says that, and I don't know if I believe that. Let's say I believe that. I don't know that I feel that today. 
And that's precisely why Paul is talking about it here. Because our lived experience doesn't line up with these things, that he's talking about heavenly and spiritual realities that we can't see but that are coming. Paul wants you to know that by putting your faith in Christ on the cross to deal with all that would break you, both inside and outside of you, whatever powers you face, he already faced them and broke them. They killed him and it wasn't enough. So imagine what then can they do to you? Even if they argue and fight with you, even if they slander and mock you, even if they say terrible things about you and reject you, even if they falsely accuse you, even if they get physical with you and hit you and beat you and betray, torture, kill, and bury you, the gospel says it's not going to be enough that Jesus gets the last word in your life. Grace gets the last word in your life because you are his now and all things answer to him. The best parents are territorially fierce over anyone that tries to harm their children. And we are limited at best. Can you imagine the ferocity of the God who calls you his child who will step in because you are his with a power like this? And one day when he returns and finally says it's time for all this nonsense to stop, time for all the violence to stop, time for all the rejection to stop, what has seemed like power that we can't overcome will ultimately be shown to be temporary and fleeting, almost like sand in your hand. So if you feel you have no power compared to what's in your life and in your world right now, you have no power even to move yourself one inch closer from your distant orbit into a closer orbit and an experience of the grace of God. The gracious power of Jesus Christ poured out on the cross and in the resurrection for you says, it's no problem. I can handle that. My grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. That's what Paul wants you to experience, to know in your weakness, in your powerlessness, in your inability. He wants you to know something that's not from you, but for you. Something that you receive as a gift, something you don't have to bring, but something you get to own. This is what he wants you to know. That a power like this exists and that it gave itself up to weakness and futility and death so that you and I in our weaknesses even in our sin, could experience life just because he chose to be kind to you. That might be the hardest part of Christianity to possibly believe. The resurrection is hard to believe. A lot of other things are hard to believe, but maybe the hardest thing for our hearts to believe is that God would choose you just because he decides to choose you. That it has nothing to do with you. And yet that is the amazing power. That is what lights up your eyes and your soul when you know that it has nothing to do with you, that I am not chosen because it has something to do with me, but he chose me. I don't know why, but he did it. That's what gives you freedom. That's what gives you light. That's what gives you energy and assurance. I don't know why, but he did it. That's a grace that you could share. 
That's a power and a hope worth knowing and worth experiencing because a power like this lets you face all the losses that we face in our life and just say, you're likely going to hurt me, but you are not the end of me. My life is beyond what you can take. Our losses threaten us and say, it'll all be over if you let this happen. If you don't respond to that email, if you don't get right on that this week, if you don't fix that relationship, if you, if you let this person down, if you possibly let those people down, you will not recover. That's what our losses say to us. And so we run and hide to anxiety and manipulation and fear to change the things around us, or even to push people so that we don't feel those losses. We do this with each other. We are each of us good at doing this, that when you face threats of something that you don't want to lose, that we push other people to make sure that we don't experience that. Even for good things. We don't want to let people down by not doing this. We want to let people down by, by, not, by saying no to that or whatever it might be. We're ultimately moved by fear, not by the power of grace that would say, even if you experience that, even if they experience that, that there is the resurrecting power of grace for all the losses in your life. The power of grace lets you say, all that might be true and more, but I will still be here. I am not those things. I am not people's approval. I am not their acceptance. I am not what they see me as. I am ultimately who Jesus says I am, and he can raise me up, not because I deserved it, but just because he chose to. It's grace that lets you face the losses in your life and say, I'm going to be sad about this. This is going to hurt, but do your worst. I'm still going to be here. When you know a grace like that, you really do start to become free, not free from pain or loss. We're not guaranteed that in this life. In fact, Jesus says you will have trouble. You will suffer. It will hurt, but you're free to choose what you believe is right regardless of what the pain says. That is real freedom. Regardless of whether it will hurt or not, you choose what is good and life-giving because pain is no longer your master or your destiny Grace is. Grace wins. So to wrap all this up, let me invite us to do a couple things practically to help do what Paul prays for us to do, to have an experience of grace in our life. I want to encourage you to let the Holy Spirit draw you in and to work together. To let the Holy Spirit draw you in, the, the image came to mind in thinking about this of how do you go from knowing about the ocean, reading about it in a book, to experiencing the ocean. Experience the power of it, the sound of big waves crashing on the shore, the feel of standing in the water. The thing draws you in, the allure of it, the, the mystery of it, the power of it, the view, the sound, the waves in the water, these things draw you in. It's the small pieces of what it is that draw you closer in. And the Holy Spirit does the same with us. He draws us in through small things, through the ordinary things he has given us, through scripture, through prayer, through the sacraments, through community, through worship together. These are all small ways that we get drawn in to the ocean of grace. And so I want to invite you to let him draw you in. 
There are already things about him, about what he is, what God is like that are meant to draw us in. Let worship draw you in. Come back next week. Open your Bible. Just go through some of the things that we've been through in Ephesians. One line, one prayer for 30 seconds. Let the things that are of God draw you into God. Let it be his power that draws you in just by experiencing him in some small way. Because big things have small beginnings. And the grace of God is one of those. But secondly, work together. In the same way that Paul prays for you and I, for the Ephesian church, to know the grace of God, I want to encourage you to work together with someone else to pray for each other. Someone you know here. Someone you know outside of here. Ask them to pray that you would have a greater experience of the grace of God in your life. And tell them that you want to pray for that for them. Because the truth is, we are great at arguing with ourselves. We're great at telling ourselves we're the worst. I shouldn't deserve grace. I don't really even want to talk to God. I don't feel like it. It's not for me. But for them, for someone else that you know, you can be kind to them. You can be thoughtful for them. You can forgive their faults. You can overlook theirs, even if you can't look your own, overlook your own. And so it might be the case that you come to experience more of the grace of God, not by asking for it yourself, but by asking for it for someone else. And that together, we would both know more of the grace of God, not by doing it for ourselves, but by asking God to do it for someone else. This is why God gives us community in part, because we are meant to find the power of grace together. There is something about asking for it for someone else that lets you perhaps find it for the first time in a long time. You're meant to have a team. We're not meant to do this alone. So let's do it together. Let's be a team for one another because God has given us as that grace for one another. Let's pray. We'd like to leave a little space for you to talk to God in your heart about some of the things that we just talked about, maybe thanking him that he brings an experience of grace to you just as a gift. Maybe confessing the ways that you've really prized something else, that you've been more afraid of other losses and you haven't sought him. Maybe ask God to let you know in a new way, to let someone else know in a new way the depths of his grace. Let's pray. Father, we ask all these things in your Son's name and by your Holy Spirit, pray that you would hear us. Amen.